In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilty Pleasures, we bring to you probably the most epic closing song of a movie. The song from a movie that I may or may not have watched 12 times in one weekend. And we bring in a local Niagara legend who will give us the greatest wedding playlist. This is I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warrens. Frank, we're now over 100 episodes in, possibly over 110 from whenever this is released. I agree. Yes, this is true. We have talked and talked about finding the iconic wedding song, but we never seem to quite get there. We have moments where we talk about, oh, this would be a great wedding dance song, like a first dance, or this would be a great one to dance with a grandmother groom to. Yeah. But we've never really kind of come up with the wedding song. But today, we have a special guest with a very special set of skills who brought to us, I think, possibly, the ultimate late 80s wedding song. And I'm surprised that Liam Neeson is actually bringing us material for this podcast. In in my worldview, it's as close to Liam Neeson in terms of... Uh, <laughs> pedigree not in terms of violence well he has a very specific skill set too that's right? true that's for taken true. That's here, let me explain the movie to you so our special guest here today is mike balsam and i met mike balsam as a student teacher in like 2000 and i think one okay and i remember i remember kind of being in awe of his sort of demeanor as a teacher. He just, when he entered the room, he could kind of control it just with this sort of confidence, but also a way of relating to the kids. And I was like, oh man, am I ever going to get there? Kind of the way he entered into the Winchester and controlled the way that we've, uh, <laughs> That's right. we go about this podcast today. Well, I mean, so Mike Wallace is not just a great teacher. He's also a puppet master. So here's the thing with Mike Wallace, you might be dying over here. <laughs> so... Whenever I talk to people in the city, there's usually like, I'd say about, you know, one in six people will know who I'm talking about. Like, oh, Mike Balsam, I know him. He grew up in the West End of St. Catharines. Why do he went to school with my mom? I'm in a football pool with him. I've been in a football pool with him for 30 years. Like, oh, that was this conversation I had this morning with a teacher. And then another one's like, oh, I know him. He's my brother. And it's like, oh, okay. So that's it. And my dad would say... Oh, Mike Balsam, yeah, he took pictures for the uh, golf tournament this year. And then you turn on their Cable 10 news source, and there's Mike Balsam. Yeah. So I uh, hope we didn't put too pre- much pressure yeah, no, on you. And, and, you know, honestly, I am just as thrilled to be here as you are to have me. This is this is amazing. I can't believe I'm finally in the Winchester. <laughs> honestly. And, and, you know, your podcast is the one thing that I can't get enough of. Wow. <laughs> I thought we were good at working the lyrics into uh, corny uh, uh, transition points. You are a welcome guest. (laughs) He already fits, doesn't he? (laughs) So in case you haven't picked up on the obvious yet, I've Had the Time of My Life by Jennifer Warrens and Bill Medley is the song we're looking at today.
in preparation for today's episode, I watched the last like 15 minutes of Dirty Dancing yesterday. Okay. Did you do that? No, I have it pretty much committed to memory because back in 88, my sister rented it. And this is back when you would rent movies and you'd watch them about 12 times in the weekend because, well, you got to get your money's worth, right? Right. And my sister made me watch it 12 times uh, one weekend. So I'm... uh, Do you feel that you know the Catskills? Yeah. And I've never actually even been there. What I didn't like was that she made me do the lift with her all the time. <laughs> but I was the Jennifer Warren's part. <laughs> we were not allowed to watch Dirty Dancing in the Hauser household. This is actually a sticking point for my sister. I still feel a point of pain she does bring up. But she got to watch it at my uncle's when she was babysitting. We talked about that when we did the... She's Like the Wind. She's Like the Wind. That's, That's right. That's right. So this song, of course, is so amazing. And the end of... That movie, I find moving. I kind of teared up while I was watching it. Was that the first time you watched it? No, no, you, no. I was going to you watched it before. Yeah, I've watched it before, but I, I wasn't expecting to be so emotional. Yeah. Well, welcome to my world. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it is an emotional ending. It really is. It's There's no doubt about that. Yeah. It's got to be one of the best endings to a movie. I, just watching it, I was thinking, wow, they, they really do stick the landing. Yeah, absolutely. And then watching the sort of making of it, when you find out that Patrick Swayze had like one jump left in him before his knee gave out. I think his knee did give out. Oh, really? <laughs> but yeah, but he made the jump. Oh, wow. And then when you see them doing the lift, that was like the maybe the 18th try. It's like the uh, 96 Olympics when Kerry Strug hit that landing on like a blown knee in gymnastics. Do you remember that? That was the big thing yes. in the... Yeah, Mike knows. All right. You need to watch more gymnastics, Bill. What, was there anyone who had a better run of... like I, I don't know how to how to lump them all together. But if you look at Point Break, you look at Roadhouse, you look at Ghost, you look at Dirty Dancing, and he was able to really take on all these, they were very different roles. Yeah. But that stretch, that run, he was top of his game. He's incredible. Oh, yeah. Were, were you as angry as I was that he could actually sing? Oh, and she's like the wind. You know what? When I found out that was Patrick Swayze and then not knowing who was all on the soundtrack, I just assumed he sang all the songs on the soundtrack. But but the guy could, he, he was good looking. He could dance. He could act. And now he can sing. And he carried that hit and he had a huge hit with it. And he could kick people in the face. Exactly. Oh, yeah, Roadhouse. Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. He was friends with Jeff Healy. That's right. right. So he's got yeah. a Canadian connection. Yeah. I think there's a moment where you decide to either hate the person or to just decide to give in. Yeah. You just yeah. got to give in. They got to be your friend. My favorite Patrick Swayze moment in a movie, Point Break, when he's at the gas station, turns on the gas and lights the whole place up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, I just, I want to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Does the whole gas station explode? I think it does. I think it I does. Think it does, yeah. Do you think they have any, like, they must have safety things. There are safeties. Way. I used to work at a gas station. I I tried it once. Uh, I didn't work there too much longer, but. <laughs> Good thing you're wearing that Richard Nixon mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so tough to talk about this song without talking about the movie because this was the big finale song at the end. That scene at the end went on for seven minutes. Oh my goodness. It had to be seven minutes long. That was the whole story. Also, in your head, as a kid, did you think of Patrick Swayze singing Bill Medley and Jennifer Grey singing Jennifer Warren? Yeah, I assumed that was, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also why it works because it feels like they both have the voices that are so powerful and the yeah. performances mm-hmm. are so powerful. 
Much to my shock, it wasn't actually Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey who sang it, but uh, Bill Medley from The Righteous Brothers and Jennifer Warren's. Now, I'm counting on you here, Frank, because a couple weeks ago you mentioned that first hit by The Righteous Brothers. I'm hoping you can tell me about Bill Medley. Well, he's named after music, so there's that. (laughs) There's no way that's his last name. It is his real name, William Thomas Medley. Born September 19th, 1940. We just missed his birthday. So, um, we have someone else who's better at Wikipedia than (laughs) I am. (laughs) Someone's got a data plan here. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, so Bill Medley, part of the Righteous Brothers with Bobby Hatfield, who's no relation to James Hatfield from Metallica, but actually distantly related to the Hatfields of the Hatfields and McCoys. I'm just going to give the pause for you to say that you just made that up. Well, if I say anything with enough confidence, I believe it. That's so. okay. All right. <laughs> I almost believed it. Yeah. I was surprised that after the Righteous Brothers' long run, right? Because they, yeah. it's the 60s, right? This is their big... Yeah, the 60s, uh, they're around for about 10 years from the early 60s to the early 70s. Right. Then they have these fits and starts kind of a thing. They uh, they didn't really get on well right, together. Right. They didn't get along at all. No. Yeah, remember that. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys, <laughs> exactly. except it's the Hatfields and the Medleys. And they came back together, it was 1974, with that, that yeah. great song, Rock and Roll Heaven. Yes. Right. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which I still love to this day. It's yeah. a fantastic song. And then they, they disappeared again. Bill Medley, obviously, with the Righteous Brothers. Huge songs with the Righteous Brothers. Low Latin, Loopy Lou, uh, Ebb Tide. Have I heard him <laughs> mention that song before? <laughs> Have I heard him Yeah, it was just on... When did you mention it? Was that with... We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Was that ago. the Cardigans episode? No, I don't even know. No. But you mentioned... Yeah. Okay, I've never heard this song. You've never heard Little Is Latin, it, Loopy Lou? I, I figure you're just name-dropping to sound impressive. Well, yeah, there's that, too. You don't want to mention the, the big Righteous Brothers songs, like Unchained Melody yeah. or... You've Lost That Love. You've Lost That Love. That loving feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So movie songs. Yeah. Actually, this is like 80s is the well, I guess it's kind of like the decade of Righteous Brothers, Bill Medley. Did Bobby Hatfield do Unchained Melody? Is that him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah he's the high voice in uh, the Righteous Brothers. Anyways, Bill Medley was asked so often to sing this song. Like the producer of the, the soundtrack, Jimmy Einer, asked him for months to sing this song. But he said, no, 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 my wife's going to have a baby. I want to be around for this. Also, Dirty Dancing sounds a bit like a dirty movie. So I don't want my name associated with that. Right, right. And it took forever for him to agree to actually sing this song with uh, Jennifer Warrens. And it was, wasn't until after Jennifer Warrens agreed to it, and then she was bugging Bill Medley to do this song, that he actually relented, and thank goodness that he did. He was a huge Jennifer Warrens fan. That was a deal breaker. Like, she'd do it if he did it, sort of thing. Well, and Jimmy Einer was a huge Bill Medley fan, and I think Jennifer Warrens was uh, obviously a a big appreciator of Bill Medley as well. And he previously did a duet with Gladys Knight for the Cobra soundtrack. That's right. (laughs) That song is awful. It's so bad. And it's so interesting to hear it. And his voice is different in there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have this sort of passion. It's way lower. And they have no connection in that song. Yeah. Also, I don't remember much of a love theme going on in Cobra. But it did feel kind of shoddily edited. Yeah, it's not Sly Stallone's best movie. <laughs> what is Sly Stallone's <laughs> best movie? <laughs> it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's a bit of a loaded question, that one, isn't it? <laughs> can can I bring things back to Jimmy Ioner? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. In my life as a person who's always loved music and collected music, my, I remember the first album I ever bought. I was at a Hills department store in Buffalo with my sister and my aunts. And there was a, a delete bin, 99 cent records. And I was flipping through and I said to my sister, do you know anything about this band Lighthouse? And I picked up this record and what attracted me, I was 11 years old, what attracted me was there was two records in that sleeve. It was Lighthouse Live. And I remember that album clearly. And I remember being very, I still have the album, by the way, because I'm a little bit of a pack rat or a hoarder, or I call myself an archivist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the producer of that album was Jimmy Ioner. Okay. And there was a little diagram of this toothy grin, Jimmy Ioner's nickname was Teeth. Oh, okay. And he was closely tied to Lighthouse for all of, and this is a Canadian band. Yeah, yeah. So I always assumed Jimmy Ioner was a Canadian, but he isn't. Mm -hmm. And it just it fascinated me that he was tied so closely to that band and the Teeth yeah. cracked me up. So the Teeth was behind this really coming together because yeah. he's musical supervisor of that whole soundtrack, yeah. which is one of the major soundtracks of the 80s. Of the 80s, Even yeah, though it absolutely. uses... Well, half of it's from the 60s, yeah. but then it also has 80s tunes. I guess this is what well, makes... Well, Hungry Eyes is on it. Yeah. Um, yes. She's Like the Wind, obviously, this song. Those Hung are three. Hungry Eyes, same songwriters. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, it. yeah. This is, I, I didn't know all this, but all these songs feel like they're of a time in the past. Eleanor Bergstein, who's the writer-producer, mm -hmm. wanted them to pick a singer from the 60s so there would be this bridge to the oh, 80s. Oh, the connection, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it also represented a connection to a, like, a past moving to the future. To the present, yeah. Or present. So when Patrick Swayze comes out, they're doing that other song that Jennifer Grey's sister's doing. Oh, yeah, he said. Right? And then Patrick Swayze stops it and they play this new song that's bringing you into the new, mm -hmm. the new age. Yeah. And so... Should we talk some Jennifer Warrens? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I know, Mike, you got a lot on Jennifer. I don't Warrens. have a lot. But okay. You got some. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's something that amazed me. A couple things, I guess. There's a lot of amazement. I kind of went through Jennifer Warren's rabbit hole yesterday, listened to a lot of interviews. She was almost signed to record contract at seven years old when she oh. was singing at county fairs around California. Wow. Yeah. But her dad said no. She was singing, though. She had really bad eyesight. And so they... That was one of the things. So if you see her, she's always wearing glasses. Oh, okay. And so really bad eyesight, but they used music to kind of keep her on track, right? Okay. So that she wouldn't feel um, overwhelmed or sad. And so music was a thing she loved. Okay. And she didn't do well in school, but because she was such a good singer, they actually had her like trained to do opera, but she was too interested in this sort of folk scene of the late 60s and went off to do that, even though she made it into this major school. She ends up joining the Smothers Brothers. Oh, did she? So if you watch the Smothers Brothers, she's on there singing and acting. Oh, I really? did not know this. Huh. We have that. And then in the 70s, she's she does her own things. She actually has sort of some minor hits. She sings a song for Norma Ray, the movie Norma Ray. Yep. I forget the name of the song, but it it won the Oscar. And so then Officer and Gentleman. Candle in the Wind. No, it's not. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> It's not on Spotify. I couldn't find it. Okay. She sings with Joe Cocker on Officer and Gentleman. Yeah. And that wins an Oscar. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that leads us to this. But there's a little more. And Mike, I think 
Oh. A year before this song came out, she released an album called Famous Blue Raincoat. And at the time, I was working for a St. Catharines easy listening, easy rock station, CHRE. And that album, we played every track from that album because it was just, it was CanCon. It was a album of Leonard Cohen covers. And it was, it, it really is, it's a fantastic album. And if you listen to it today, it still stands up. There's absolutely, it's not dated at all. As Leonard Cohen's music really can't be dated. It's mm-hmm. it's different than a lot of what came out in the in the late '60s. It really really stands up today, and her versions are, are just fantastic. And I actually met one of the one of the people that was involved in in that album. He lives in Niagara on the Lake, and he was an executive at Attic Records. And he still says he worked with all of these for 30 years. He was an executive at Attic Records, working beside Rick Emmett, Teenage Head, all of these Canadian bands that Attic was known for. But Attic had the distribution rights for famous Blue Raincoat in Canada. Mm -hmm. And he actually was there when they were recording some of it. And he squired her around Canada. He says it was the bar none, the best record he ever worked on. He's so proud of it. Nice. It is incredible. Like She talked about it in an interview where they were doing a remastering, it was like 20 years later, and she talked about how perfect it still sounded on okay. vinyl when they did it. And then audiophiles still talk about this. So I know the music teacher at my former high school was gifting me, I think. He might have lent them to me. We're going to find that out in a <laughs> oh, few yeah. years. Uh, all the, uh, all, <laughs> all those, those albums. albums. Yeah. But he had two copies of Famous Blue Raincoat. He's like, yeah, I got this one. And then I bought this one. Like, So you must have you know, listened to this one a lot and that one. Neither of those two ended up in the pile that he gave me. Oh. <laughs> so, so that's that's it's that good. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing it all the time. And so that had come out before this song that we're doing. Yeah. And so I don't know if she was keen to do something else, but she was also convinced to do this. Well, she also was reluctant to do this song initially because it sounded like a dirty movie to her. <laughs> okay. Do you know who the original two singers were for the song that they were thinking of? Yeah, it was Donna Summer and Joe Esposito. Who is going to be featured at some point oh, when absolutely. we do our Rocky Three Karate Kid <laughs> yeah, special. crossover. Joe Esposito, I, I looked into some of his background because the name yeah. didn't ring a bell. Yeah, yeah. And he's tied to all these amazing soundtracks, Flashdance, yeah. Staying Alive, Scarface, Karate Kid, yeah. and Foxes. Do you at all <laughs> no. recall the 1980 movie Foxes? The main actor in Foxes was Cherie Curry, who was the lead singer of Joan Jett's band, yeah. The Runaways. And it was like her only big feature in any movie, yeah. Foxes. But you know, I, I, I dig through the list of the songs on those soundtracks and he never had the biggest hit from any no, of those soundtracks. No. It was always some song that was buried yeah. in there. You do know his work, though. Oh, yeah, it's that guy. That guy did this song. Well, there's an 80s soundtrack sound. If you yeah. pick up that, you know, the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack, there'd be the big songs. And then the sort of filler music would be like, oh, this is... I remember as a kid, like, oh, man, this is an eight, this is a soundtrack song. I, I understood it that way. Yeah. Taking nothing away from You're the Best Around from Karate Kid Part 1, which is amazing. Yes. The song was originally intended to be sung by Donna Summer and Joe Esposito. But then after they turned it down, they went after Dara Hall and Kim Carnes. I would have liked that. Yeah, that would have been good. That would have been really good. Huh. Yeah. And then finally, third choice, which, you know, could have been first choice, really. Bill Medley and Jennifer Warrens. They saved the best for last. 
All right, now we've talked about Bill Medley, we talked about Jennifer Warrens, now we are going to talk about the history of the song. There's so much on this in terms of you can find articles and articles on it, but we have to talk through just how this came about. So it comes back to our linchpin of the Dirty Dancing music, Jimmy Einer. Einer, yep. Okay. And he's reaching out to a friend of his, Frankie Previtt from Frankie and the Knockouts. And we just found out a few moments ago off mic that Mike actually owns. I own a album. copy of that Frankie and the Knockouts album. It's it's a really good 80s rock album. It, it's, it, it's sort of ruined in points by an overabundance of keyboards where I would have liked to have heard some more crunchy guitars, but it's, it's good pop rock. I wouldn't call it power pop, mm-hmm. uh, but there's some really good songs on there. You can really see that he had his songwriting chops, but they just never really got anywhere with right. that record. Right. And there's, I mean, there's bands that we have championed as well. Yeah. Charles and Eddie, for example. Well, hey, Frankie Previtt, get ready because we're going to shout you out now. Yeah. <laughs> Your career. Get ready for the comeback. <laughs> we joke. His, forget the comeback. He's got so, the publishing rights to this song. Oh, yeah, that's up. right. Yeah. He's, he's doing just fine. He's doing fine. okay. <laughs> It's interesting, too, looking into the history, the fact that the whole idea of dirty dancing turned him off at first, that yeah. he didn't want to touch it because he thought it was a porno movie, yeah. is what his words were. Maybe my sister would have been allowed to watch this movie if they had a different title, like Dancing in the Catskills. I remember, actually, I'm 10 years old when this movie comes out, and I see a, a commercial for it, and I'm just like, dirty dancing? Like, I don't think I'd be allowed to watch that. This can't be a wholesome movie. I was a wholesome child. <laughs> a wholesome child. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, obviously I'd, I had no interest in seeing it 12 times one weekend. <laughs> so Frankie Previtt gets a call from Jimmy Einer. And he reaches out to his band. I think it's his bandmate, right? Nick. I believe so. John. Uh, John uh, DiNicola. That's it. Yeah. yeah. John DiNicola. And he reaches out to his friend, who is Mark... Donald Markowitz. Donald Markowitz. All right. You're Mark for three. Yeah, Mark for three yeah. Because Donald has like a 12-track player. So he's he's the guy with the tech. And then it sounds like John actually comes up with all these sounds, right? And which is critical to this song. I mean, the lyrics are important, but the sound. There's a lot going on with it. Holy oh cow. We'll, we'll talk about it when we go through our analysis of it. And so they send the music back to Frankie, who's driving around our buddy Chris Newkirk's territory. Oh, yeah. In New Jersey. Then. Yeah. And they actually record this in Montclair. Oh, do they? Yeah. The, the demo of this. And so he's driving a, along the New Jersey Turnpike. I'm now making up words for the, the highway. The Garden State Parkway. Sure. Yeah. The Garden State Turnpike. and uh, Parkway. I, it says that right <laughs> okay. here in okay. Wikipedia. Gotcha. Okay. So he's driving down there and he's just thinking to himself, nah, nah, time of my life, nah, nah. And he didn't know what he was doing, but it somehow came together. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And then he records a demo as a duet because he recognizes this needs to be a duet. Yeah. And they're the only group of songwriters who send a duet as a tape to the Dirty Dancing people. Okay. And it's the final tape that they get. They listen to like 150 songs. So Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze. Eleanor. Eleanor. And and the choreographer, Kenny Ortega. Is that his name? Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. One of the most famous choreographers in 
Hollywood. That's why I know. Okay. Because uh, uh, you're a big dance I, guy. Yeah, I'm a big dance guy. That's right. We usually figure skating, but we'll talk Brian Orser Boitano later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they're all together listening to these songs and none of them are working. So even when they're trying to work through this final set piece for the movie, they're listening to like a Lionel Richie song, which we yeah. never hear what song it is. No, exactly. Yeah. And it's not working. And they filmed this scene first so they haven't oh, before done before the, the first scene filmed is yeah. the final scene of the movie oh, okay and so a proper demo was made in montclair mm-hmm. and sent over and they listened to this when they're re- uh, recording the scene and it just hyped everybody up and they knew it was going to be a good movie mm-hmm. and so the song is totally synced with this movie in terms of what makes the movie work? What makes the song work? The scene is seven minutes long. So when they record the song proper, and the version that they use in the movie actually isn't Bill Medley and Jennifer Warren's. Is that, did I read that correctly? No, but the version that they used when they filmed yes, it. Sorry, yes. It was... Uh, was the demo. Frankie Previtt and uh, what's her name? Rochelle uh, Capelli. Right. And it, it's on YouTube. You can hear yeah. it. This could be And actually, it's Patrick Swayze's favorite version is the demo version. He might be a great dancer, but he's got terrible taste. He (laughs) thinks that's better. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I got my facts completely wrong, which that never, ever happens here. The version that Bill Medley and Jennifer Warren's recorded for the movie was seven minutes long, or six minutes and 46 seconds. Which you can get. It's a 12-inch version. Yeah. And it's great. It is great. And you can hear it when you, you watch the movie. Yep. But then they cut it down for the single and for right. the soundtrack. Yes. Okay, a couple things. I just got to get this out, then I'll be good. Okay. Jennifer Warren's, when she sang this, had them bring in a TV so she could watch oh, yes, the scene. Oh, right. yeah. So she could, she says she sings well to film, like to talkies, she says, yeah. or something. And so talkies. She, <laughs> I hope I got that. I, I must. There's no way I made that up. And so she watched it, and that gave her the energy to sing. And this okay. song has... So much energy and oh, fun and joy. It builds and swoons and it's orchestral and dramatic and there's a lot going on oh, with this. perfection. Bill, I might ask you this question yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Does this go back to when she was seven years old and failing eyesight and her parents were putting on music so she could focus? Now she's focusing with image in front of her. Yeah, Isn't that interesting? that's right. Yeah, that is. So it's all coming back. Oh, wait, that's Celine Dion. Yeah. Random fact, she was the seventh callback for the Mickey Mouse Club back in like the 60s. Jennifer Warrens? Yeah, Jennifer Warrens. Really? So she was seventh in line in case someone got sick and then someone got sick and someone got hurt and someone got, you know, in trouble. She was the seventh, according to her, because she had like five-star voice, Mm -hmm. zero-star dancing. Which we'll talk about when we get to that music video. Was she living in California? Because there could have been an earthquake that took out all six. That's right. Yeah. She, this It's sort of like King Ralph. <laughs> yeah. That's a great movie. Let's talk about that soundtrack, no. shall we? Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, let's let's move on here. So, uh, okay. Our, Ron Goodman hasn't had a good role since then. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. We got that. All right. Structure of this song. 
pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. I know other songs do this, but I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. In order to make this the seven minutes it needed to be, even though the version we know was like four and a half minutes long, the songwriter, Frankie Previtt, said, we need to start with the chorus, but slow. Yes. Move to verses, then faster chorus. And it works so perfectly. Oh, exactly. Like Bill Medley comes in with that, like that trademark... Is that a baritone voice? It's yeah, a baritone voice. Yeah. I had almost like, sounds like, you know, funeral music. I was hoping you'd keep going there a couple more bars. You like that? Yeah, that was pretty good. I've been taking singing lessons. Okay. I haven't. <laughs> but it opens with a man who is big in the time of the 60s. And of course, this movie takes place in 63. So you have his voice and then a voice coming from the sort of future of sorts, Jennifer Warren's doing the other half, right? So now I've had the time of my life. No, I never felt like this before. Yes, I swear it's the truth and I owe it all to you. And then in comes Jennifer because I've had the time of my life and I owe it all to you. And then there's that breakdown into the first verse. And that, as a kid watching it, is like goosebumps. As a 46-year-old watching it yesterday, possibly in the kitchen while trying to cook, same deal. And tears somehow. I don't know how. I Mourning for my lost you, something like that. Were but, you cutting onions or? <laughs> no. Now I had the time of my life. No, I never felt like this before. Yes, I swear it's a truth. And I owe it all to you. It's so good. I, yeah. I, I, it's tough to analyze a song where you're just like, yeah, that's so good. This is what I'm going to keep saying. Yeah. What I like about that opening chorus is because you do have that Bill Medley and I did my awesome impersonation of him earlier on, but his voice is just so deep and it's so rich. But then Jennifer Warrens comes in and it's light and it's airy and it's just that great juxtaposition, if I can use a that's word. That's a big word. I, it <laughs> is a big word. <laughs> that's right. You stuck the landing. I did. Like, and then very blew, struck. And blew out your knee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we get that bass line. Yeah. And now we hit into, I've been waiting for so long. Now I finally found someone to stand by me. That works for me because he sounds old. Like, I don't know how yeah. old he is then. Is he our age? <laughs> it's probably our age then, isn't he? Um, he's 47. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, he's, oh, he's man. 47. When he, wow. Yes. Yeah, he sounds so old. Oh, man. We sound... No wonder you could sing it so well. You're almost a medley age. <laughs> <laughs> we saw the writing on the walls. We felt this magical fantasy. Oh, I love these lyrics. It has that Princess Bride feel to me, too, where it's just so Oh, it's big. magical. It yeah. Is. Oh, my goodness. I've been waiting for so long now. I've found someone stand by me. Is there another song that you can think of that says the same thing with different words through every verse? 
Because that's what this does. Yeah. Right? Through all of it, there's there's really, there's no difference in the storytelling about what's going right, on. Right, right. Right? I've waited for you all my life. I've found you. The magic is there. Life is perfect. Every one of these verses says that, but in a different way. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's good. The only other song that I can think of that's relatively close is Freak on a Leash by Korn. <laughs> 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 I've been waiting 110 episodes to bring that up. But it's certainly corn withstanding. I was going to say not withstanding, but definitely withstanding. This is a fairy tale story, right? Like, yeah. this is, um, damn, my goodness. Is it, and it just keeps moving. Like, it just keeps moving. Now, with passion in our eyes, there's no way we could disguise it secretly. So we take each other's hands because we seem to understand. The urgency. Yeah, and I like that it flows. It just flows. It's like this, like you said, a magical river. And it's moving. I did. <laughs> did you say that, Bill? No, I did not. No, it, but no, no. You said it's magical. I'm just saying it's like a river. It's a magical river. The river sticks. I didn't put words in your mouth. I just expanded on the words in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounded Are so dirty. Yeah, but yes, it, it has an urgency because it moves so quickly. Yes. Like this yeah. magical river that yeah. you're on. Yeah. Okay. Just remember, you're the one thing. I can't get enough of. Wait, stop, Bill. Wait, wait. I'm moving too fast, aren't I? No. Oh, my the magic first river. favorite part of this song. Okay. Just remember. Yes. <laughs> he hits that, and 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 you know we're talking about weddings later, right? Mm-hmm. When I would play this song, you would see people on the dance floor saying that to each other, singing that part. They oh, might not oh, sing man. all of the words, but they would always remember to hit that. Just remember. Right. And look at each other. And look at each other. And just probably belt it. It's perfect. And whether, you know, maybe when you see these words written down, you assume that the songwriter, Frankie Previtt, in this case, the lyricist, wrote that. But I suspect Bill threw that in, that just remember. Just like later in the song, and it comes about a minute later, hey, baby. Yes. That's the other one. Yeah, totally. He has those like special hits. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But what I love, just uh, following on your, this just remember part, because that's Bill Medley, and then it's Jennifer Warren's, correct? That says, you're the one thing. And then he follows that up with, I can't get enough of, right? It, doesn't it go back and forth? It yeah, it does. Yeah. It's irresistible, because they keep going back, yeah. they get to, this could be love together. Yeah. Oh. Just When you look at this, when you when you think of those words and you think of their back and forth in that section, it's almost circular, and that brings you back to the dance. Yeah. Because yes. there's circular dancing in that whole scene at the end. Right. And we're looking to hearing it again and seeing it again. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to separate this song from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
because this song just so perfectly fits that scene. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very much more than pretty much any song and movie that you can think yeah. of. Yeah. Tequila, Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. <laughs> that, that's a <laughs> very there. close second. That. We know Jennifer Warrens is singing to the scene. She's watching it. Yeah. And, and she wants to get to the lift, right? That's a big thing for Jennifer Warrens too. But when the chorus comes back here, I've had the time of my life, it doesn't sound like the beginning, even though it's the same. Yeah. It feels so, I'm going to say it again, joyful. The song is joyful. Yeah. And which is why it's a great wedding dance, because there isn't anything bad going on. There's nothing except the best of life. And that's what you want on the dance floor. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know how to, there's, there's no analysis to give to that when it's just perfect. So we go back into that chorus again, yeah, yeah. right? Like you said, but it's different than the opening chorus because the opening chorus is just kind of, it's slow, it's introducing you. It's it's like a first date, you know, a little hug at the door. It's familiar, but not really rocking quite yet. Yeah, yeah. We're into third date territory by the time we hit this chorus again. And then it brings us into that next verse, which is totally third date territory. With my body and soul, I want you more than you'll ever know. What do you think she's talking about there? This is a PG podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a PG, yeah. yeah. PG podcast. Despite Dirty Dancing being PG-13, which is why mom and dad, you didn't let us watch it, that's okay. I mean, I guess Bill answers it. So we'll just let it go. Don't be afraid to lose control. No. I don't think he means no there, but... No. Okay, yeah. We'll let the listener be aware of whatever it means. I know they we might have... be talking about dancing. Yeah, I know we have teenagers listening, and I don't want to. Yeah, my nephew listens. Off. Yeah, okay. All right, well, we'll make this real comfortable for you here, Frank. <laughs> yes, I know what's on your mind when you say, stay with me tonight. Stay with me. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There's a little added Bill Medley. And so we don't need to explain this. No. We have grown's up listeners. Yeah. But then it rolls back into kind of that pre-chorus. And remember, you're the one thing I can't get enough of. So I'll tell you something. This could be love. Boom. Right back to that chorus. Right. And now this is Chorus City, right? Yeah. Except it repeats a couple of times, but then there's a bridge. We got lots to talk about here. Oh, yeah. It comes up. It's that sax solo. Oh, it's insane. It's incredible. It's incredible. And we we need to let you speak as I interrupt you. I'll try that again. It's okay. I'm used to it. But yeah, right in that bridge, there's this, and we're talking about Jimmy Einer and bringing all the sounds together. There's that wicked orchestra hit. Like right at the beginning of the bridge. And it just, it sort of punctuates things and then everything just sort of swirls all around it. Oh my goodness. Now, 
there's a long version, the 12-inch version that you can get on the like Dirty Dancing Ultimate version or whatever. And so when they released this song to the radio stations, it was like six and a half minutes long originally, three weeks before the movie came out. And it didn't get much traction. But Jimmy Einer knew it was good, went back to the studio and recut it himself. Yeah. Cut it down to four minutes and 30 seconds. And when the song came out, Frankie Previtt was in the theater and he watched people just sit through the credits because they wanted to know what the name of the song was and who sang it. And he, then suddenly he knew Money City was coming his way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> As a publisher. Side note, do you know how much singers get for all the plays that a song gets on the radio? I have no idea. It starts with a Z. Zero. Yeah. Jennifer Warren's has actually worked in Washington to try to lobby for them to give. So she's not sing- getting any money from this song. No money. It's the publishing rights. That's yeah. the, the big money is in the publishing rights. And that's why when you look back in history, you know, the old blues singers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were destitute and, and yeah. living on the streets by the time the 70s had rolled around. But yet the Rolling Stones were making money off of their songs because they never had the publishing rights. Oh, And it's, yeah, it's incredible. And even with the Beatles, Lennon McCartney, right? You know, Lennon would write a song and they had an agreement that the two of them would share the publishing. But the the artists who brought this song to life and brought it to the radio they get paid for their time in the studio, perhaps, and then just and they could s- they could sing it in concert and then pay the publishing rights. Yes, this is insane oh, to me. Really, because Bill Medley and Jennifer Warrens are the reason that we want to hear it again and again. Yeah, song's good, but when you hear the demo, unlike Patrick Swayze, I'm not really compelled to hear it yeah. again. But when you hear what they do to it, yeah, they alter it all. So in some ways, even though. They're adding things to it creatively. They don't get creative credit. It's right. a sensitive topic because Frank gave me publishing rights to the podcast. <laughs> so, but the Winchester looks lovely and uh, you'll be looked after. Don't yeah. worry. So every time I do a live version of the podcast, I have to pay Bill. <laughs> yeah. But the way this podcast works is no, that means I pay you because it's always a losing venture. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're waiting for that big moment we can sell out. All right. Oh, okay. I, I will sell out in a heartbeat. <laughs> that bridge is incredible. But if you hear the long version, there's this like build up to it. Yeah. That would work great on a dance floor as well, but definitely works great in the movie too. Yeah. That gets the sax solo that also runs even longer oh, okay, and even yeah. more better. That's not the word. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And that leads us then to the slow well, beginning again. And, and right? Mike, Mike did sort of allude to this earlier. The end of that bridge where it's just that step up, that... That's, and then it stops. And then, yeah, just mm. boom. And then you get back to Bill Medley. Now I at the time of my life. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's you, exactly like it. Good job. Exactly. You went even longer this time. I did. That's great. I, I, I have confidence, <laughs> like Julie Andrews told me to. Now I had the time of my life. 
No, I never felt this way before. Never felt yes, this I swear, way. it's a truth, and I hope and so he hits his slow version, but then it goes back to that giving it I wrote next to the chorus. Yeah. Just go for it. And then we also have the Bill Medley sort of hits where he's like, never felt this way. It's the truth. Like he says all those things. And as it goes towards the ending, he says, you do it to me, baby. At the very end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. listen real closely. That's right, yeah, yeah. So, I'm trying to imagine him in the studio just yelling, you do it to me, baby. Yeah. (laughs) In the silence of the room. And like, all right, well, let's try that again, Bill. Like, do it again. Do it again. So, in the long version, you can hear them doing more of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, man, it works. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so good. Can I compare this to another song again? Another song that was a big hit on dance floors, a longer song, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Oh, okay, yep. And only because it's it's that sexual tension that builds through the entire song. Yeah. And it reaches that crescendo. And it's just, people just loved to jump up on a dance floor. And even if they had trouble figuring out, okay, I've had the time of my life. That first line from Bill Medley, how do I dance to that? Do I get up there? Because I know the song isn't that tempo yeah, yeah. the whole time, but you would play this at a wedding and the entire floor would be full. There'd right. be nobody left at the tables. I think they wanted to experience the ups and downs of, of this yeah. five minutes. Mike, I, I don't want to dispute what you said, but Paradise by the Dashboard Light is about listening to a baseball game in a car. You're right. <laughs> it's it it's is. not a, there's no sexual but tension. There's a there lot whatsoever. of sexual tension in a baseball game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here he comes, please play it, it's gonna be close. Here's the throw, here's the play at the plate. Holy cow, I think he's gonna make it. Stop right there. That naturally leads us to talking about wedding music. Yes. And we didn't bring this up in my um my introduction. I actually had the introduction I gave, and as we say in the biz, the twelve inch version, if you were to buy it at the uh the record store where I talk about all the other jobs you've had. But I feel we can just let you speak for yourself. 1980s were a busy time for me. I was doing all kinds of things. I, I In and out of university and college, I, I finally went to teacher's college. And during a lot of that time, I was a wedding DJ. I worked for a company out of Niagara-on-the-Lake called Mr. Music. And for every Friday and every Saturday night, I was doing weddings all through Niagara, from Fort Erie up to Grimsby, every one of the the 12 municipalities in this region, Mm -hmm. I was doing weddings. And so you got to know what worked in weddings. And this is one of those songs that was a surefire hit. Only the Macarena and the Chicken Dance were more (laughs) surefire than this. When would you play this song in a wedding dance? It wouldn't, you can't play it too early. You you cannot play it too early. There there were ways to build things up. Obviously with the wedding, it starts out slow. You've got the first dance. And then you've got the dance with the father. You've got all of this. And then, you know, usually there's two or three slow songs at the beginning. And then you start, I always used Motown out of that, right? So there was always some four tops or some temptations because that was always a a surefire hit to, to get the wedding flowing. Probably, I would say maybe the second hour, this wouldn't be a closer at the end of the night, but probably second hour, this was a, a big one. 
when I was in university, this was a closer at the end of like a bar night. They would right. play this or semi Sonic's closing time, which oh. I heard way too many times. But yeah, so I always pictured this as a closer song because, you know, it's you talking about having the time of your life, right? It may sound cliche. My closer song at the end of the wedding, you had to get people the message. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. I would just throw on New York, New York. Ah. That's yeah, it. Gotcha. It's the yeah. end of the night. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. You're not hearing anything after that. After Sinatra, what yeah. can you play? Because Freak on a Leash hasn't been released yet. <laughs> that would clear the room. That would clear the room. That would clear every room. Okay, so we know this is a second hour wedding song, but this is bringing everyone out. Everybody comes out for this and song. I think because it starts so slow, you can kind of come in to the wedding dance floor. Take your time. Yeah. This is the one where your best girl is begging you to go out on the dance floor. You know that you're going to end up out there, but you're reluctantly going. And then by the time you actually meander out onto the dance floor, that's when the uh, just remember comes. And you, and you look at her, just remember, and you you break down at that point. You bring up a great point. Dirty Dancing was a hit for the ladies. The movie was a hit yeah. for women. Women loved it. And I, I was in college when this came out. So I was 25, 26 years old doing weddings, but I was also studying radio and television broadcasting. And I I may have had a couple of girls that I was sort of interested in during this time, and they both loved that movie. Did they make you watch it 12 times in one weekend? <laughs> you couldn't watch it yet. It was still in the theaters. Oh, right? okay. So it was juggling act as to, well, maybe I'll take this one to that movie this week. And maybe, maybe if I can swing it, I'll take the other one because they loved this movie and they loved that song. So you're at a wedding and it's exactly Frank, what you said. It's when your girl is going to say, you're coming up and you're dancing with me on this song and you can't say no. Yeah. Because just at the beginning, can you sing it again? Well, <laughs> well I had... As soon as Bill started singing those dulcet tones, women at the weddings would lose their mind. They're yeah. jumping out of their seats. Come on, honey, we're going up, right? And as you say, it took a while to get the men up, yeah. but they were stuck dancing to yeah. the song. Well, they knew they had no choice. Really. Exactly. My um, uncles were married in the 80s, and they all had their uh, reception at Niagara Lake at the, like, uh, the Legion. I'm wondering... Well, I'm wondering if you were the DJ at any of these weddings. I probably was. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is all coming together. Yeah. It's all coming back. It was such a good time. If you were the DJ, it was the best because I danced like crazy. Yeah. And wedding dances are the best dances. There's nothing better than a wedding dance because it's intergenerational. Yeah. And you can get old people dancing. Not to freak on a leash, but they will dance to... Black Eyed Peas, yeah. they will they'll just go for it. Yeah. And then young people will dance to things they're not used to either. It's so perfect. There's less judgment at a wedding. Yeah. yeah. When you're at a club, you want to look cool. Well, yeah, because you're peacocking. Exactly. But at a wedding, you don't have to look cool. No. It doesn't matter. You can embarrass yourself out there. You can do the Carlton. Yeah. Do it wrong. Yeah. And you're not embarrassing yourself. The, the great thing about the wedding dance is... I am all of my married friends' best friend because I'm usually the one out on the dance floor dancing with their wives while they're just hanging out at the bar. <laughs> just like, yeah. you saved me. You saved yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Just, why are you so sweaty, Frank? It's because I've been dancing all night. You're quite a wedding dancer. Um, I'm not yeah. bad. It's been a while, though. 
It's been a while. All right, I got questions for you as a wedding DJ. Was there a startup cost or did the company already provide you with the music? Company provided me with the music. I you, I would tag along usually a milk crate of some of my own records as well. Okay, all right. So, you know, like I mentioned, Lighthouse buying that first album when yeah. I was 11. Yeah. I still at home, I have probably 15,000 records. Oh, wow. Probably 10,000 CDs. And it's a bone of contention between my wife and I. <laughs> and probably, you know, when I die, my kids are going to be buried in vinyl yeah, and yeah. won't know what to do with it. But it's it's always, it's been my hobby yeah. since I was 11 years old. So this natural progression to becoming a DJ, not just on radio, but to be doing weddings, yeah. it, it, was, it was just so much fun for me. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you're doing vinyl. You're bringing out... Your own vinyl collection. Yes. How good were you at dropping the needle at that right spot, that darker portion where you had to hit it? I got very good at that. Lighting was often a difficulty, so you had to make sure that you had a little clip-on light so you could see the grooves. But I got pretty good. I got pretty good at the mixer. I wasn't doing any, but I got pretty good at the the mixer. Okay, yeah. Did you ever try to introduce songs that you really liked to a wedding crowd in hopes that it would win them over? Well, interesting story here. So I... Did not do that too often because you're getting paid and they mm-hmm. paid handsomely. Right. Uh, I was making 200 bucks a night. And this is in, in the, the 80s. 80s. Oh yeah. my goodness. So they paid and, and my boss is still making money. I worked for a guy who did all the bookings and right, owned right. the equipment. So he was making a hundred. He was charging 300 for these weddings. Right. So I tried to bring the music that was going to keep the dance floor full. I remember there was this, this kid that... We hired. He wanted to be a DJ. He also had an electronic band in St. Catharines called Techniques Berlin. And he was a fan of The Cure and Joy Division and New Order, as I am and was back then. But I wouldn't play those at weddings. And I remember working with him one night and he was adamant that he was going to play some music from The Cure. And I was saying, no, Andreas, you can't do that. You can't. You've got to play what they want. He slipped on a New Order song and they stayed up on the dance floor. And he felt very vindicated that that was that that he was right. Then he went on to a Cure song and the yeah. dance floor cleared. Unless it's... Uh... Bright Am in Love? No. Uh, love Cats. Oh, Love, love Cats. Oh, Love Yeah, that will. Which, if, so if you're a Cure fan, you're going to refuse to play it because I think the Cure hate that song yeah, too. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's a, just like Heaven, that might oh, keep yeah. them. But I'd love to think that that guy tried to throw Love Will Tear Us Apart at a wedding. <laughs> you bring up a great point. Yeah. So there were a couple of weddings that I can remember where I was playing a song. I, I can't remember what the song was, but you know... Frank and Bill, you both know that yeah. there's a lot of songs about love gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. And some of those songs are, are very catchy and some of them are big hits. Mm-hmm. And I remember a father of the bride coming up and threatening me physically because I played a song that was about someone cheating on his wife. Oh. And honestly, I, I really felt scared for my life. He was going to come across the mixer and he was going to grab me by the collar and, and, until I took that thing off. So meeting with brides, I didn't do a lot of the meeting with brides before the wedding. My boss did that. Sometimes you would have a a list. These are the Mm -hmm. songs we want to hear. And sometimes you would get a list. These are the songs that you absolutely cannot play. And maybe they were songs that, you know, meant something to her and her previous boyfriend. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But they were songs that could not be played. Oh, wow. All right. I want to know about 
I'm so fascinated by wedding dances and DJing these things. What was the strangest moment you've experienced as a wedding DJ? Strangest moment would have to be, I believe it was at the Polish Hall on Facer Street in St. Catharines. I think it was a Ukrainian wedding. And got in there, set up all of my equipment, started the wedding off with the first dance, was getting into my normal routine, my Motown, three or four songs in. And someone came up to me and, and, and said, we don't like this. Can you play this? And he handed me a cassette. And I said, okay, which song? He said, no, can you just play this? I said, are you serious? Yes, just play this. Okay. It was a 50-minute cassette of Ukrainian songs with gaps in between songs as you would normally have. This was a store-bought cassette. And all they wanted me to do for the rest of the night was to play that tape oh so they goodness. could dance to their Ukrainian music. How filled was the dance floor? It was full. Wow. That's what they wanted. That's what I gave them. But it was the weirdest thing. They paid me 200 bucks to flip a cassette over. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now questions. Because we got songs that we've done for Bill and Frank's Guild Free Pleasures that we figured would be wedding songs. You're the inspiration. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Is I that the first, that. first song? That is a common first song. It would have been a common first song back then. Uh, Lady in Red. Where would that be played? Oh, man. That's an early song because okay. it's, it's again, it sets the tone. And again, there's always a few ladies in red at every wedding. There, yeah. That song just is for them. Yes. They have to get up and dance. And it's it, it, it was a killer track. You mentioned sometimes you'd play it twice. I try not to, but yeah, sometimes a song like that, sometimes you have to. Wow. Yeah. I, did, I didn't realize that could happen. What other songs, Frank? Any other? Like oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking up okay. uh, what other <laughs> songs we've done. I can't even remember. There's over 100. I can't remember all 100. Okay, another one? Actually, another question, because this will lead into a category. Michael Bolton. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of where your wedding DJ years are. Did Michael Bolton figure into any of your DJ mixes? Yeah, I think I... I, I do believe I played some Michael Bolton. Yeah. Yeah. His, like that, that first, that debut album, that Michael Bolton yeah, album yeah. was yeah. huge. So there were a couple of songs on there that people would dance to, but uh, he wasn't a big staple, I don't think. Was there any songs that were like the ultimate staple, like that every wedding dance you would play this song? I mean, I guess Chicken Dance. The Chicken Dance is there. The Macarena is there. Right, right, right. I'm going to save... My list. Right, yes. Okay, right. Of I'm those the, staples for, for your mixtape. Right, exactly. Okay, I'm, I'm stepping on our own categories. Yeah. Only I could dance and step on my own feet. Well done. Thank you. So what song would people come up and request from you that you would just cringe and hate to play? I hated playing I Will Always Love You, the Whitney Houston Oh, version. okay, yeah. Picture that song. Oh, it's so slow. It's so slow. It's 50 seconds of just Whitney acapella. Yeah, right. And people would ask for that song at every wedding and nobody would come up to, to the dance floor for 50 seconds. My job was to keep that dance floor full. I, I couldn't stand seeing an empty dance floor. Sometimes if a song bombed, I would just stop it. Well, I would okay. oh, really? mix into another song. Why continue if nobody's going to dance? Right. Floor? And with mixing, because you could then play the next track, you'd have, would you have two turntables I'd have running? two turntables. Oh, and a microphone. And a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well done. Double guns. Good job. One more question. What's going to bring you out of retirement? Unless you're still DJing. If your kids got married, 
would you DJ their wedding? I would love to do that. That yeah. would be a lot of fun. Okay. I hope do a little guest guest yeah, spot. Yeah. Hope they're listening. I'm gonna can I can I give you another yeah, yeah. little story? When I left DJing and I got my first job as a teacher, I was teaching in Gananoque. And in Gananoque, at this school, Gananoque Secondary School, we had a radio club. There was a setup above the servery area in the cafetorium because it was a cafeteria slash auditorium right, right. where they did their musicals. And I took over, obviously, the radio club. Yeah. We played music during lunch. And we also DJed the dances from way up above, which was a lot of fun. So I had this group of kids. So there was this one year that for some reason, there there was some kind of a fundraiser. And whoever was running this fundraiser said to me, hey, Mike, would you offer your services as a DJ for people to bid on for the silent auction? I said, sure. So this family bid on me as a DJ. And they lived somewhere out between Gananoque and Kingston in this rural area. They had this land. And it turned out to be a grade eight girl's birthday party. Right. I get there. I bring all of my equipment. I I set it up. And they bring out the Grease album. And all they want... This is similar to the Ukrainian. (laughs) All they wanted me to do was play the Grease album. Oh, wow. And again, you know what Greece is all about. Yeah. And these are grade eight girls and they're all dancing and singing to these songs about oh, you know cars. what. Yeah. Greece is all about cars. Cars. Yeah, yeah cars, yeah. right. Cars. Right, right, right. It was just it was an odd experience. And again, one of those things where in this case I wasn't making money. I made money for the school. Right. But I really wasn't acting as a DJ. I, I could have just loaned them the equipment. They could have spun Greece on their own. But they needed to see you there. Yeah. What outfit would you wear to DJ? For weddings, I was always wearing a suit. Always okay. wearing a suit. Yeah, yeah. Always. You have to dress the part. I would feel a little bit sheepish sometimes yeah. during the setup because sometimes yeah. I'm setting up during dinner right. and I would show up in t-shirt and shorts because you're lugging this equipment. It's dirty. It's dusty. The albums are dusty. You're making a lot of noise, but you had to do what you had to do. So mm-hmm. often... If the wedding was kind of close to where I lived at the time, which for a while was still in St. Catharines, another while was in Welland, another while it was in Fenwick, I would go at one o'clock before anybody was there at the hall, set up, and then leave and come back in my suit. Okay. All right. Can we talk about who else could sing this song? Other than Michael Bolton? No. I want to know who's going to sing with Michael Bolton. Who do you have singing with Michael Bolton for this song? Well, you need someone that's going to match power for power. Yep. Celine Dion. Oh, my gosh. That's exact. I, can I show you? I wrote that down. I wrote that down. Yeah. Right did, you, yeah, did, yeah. You, did you write that down too, Bill? I wrote that I down. I wrote that down. Yeah. MB and CD. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that, Out of that, my brain. All right. I got an intriguing one for you. Kenny Rogers and Ann Murray. Wow. That is intriguing. Yeah, yeah. Anything more to expand on that? <laughs> no. A perfect Nova Scotian wedding. Yes. <laughs> That's all I got. Those are my two. Can I throw out the fact that Bill Medley was linked romantically to Darlene Love at one time, Mary Wilson at one time, and Connie Stevens at one time? Can you imagine him doing this song with any of those three? Holy cow. Yes. I'm trying to... Remember what Connie... What Connie, Connie Stevens, Stevens isn't also a... Who's sorry now, or was that Connie Francis? So wait, wait, wait. Again, this we have Darlene Love. Darlene Love. the ultimate unsung 
hero. Mm-hmm. And Mary Wilson was yeah. one of the Supremes. Ma- yeah, one yeah. of the Supremes. That's right. Oh, my goodness. The idea of Darling Love and Bill Medley doing a duet is is really intriguing. Yeah. Man. Uh, also, Darling Love and Danny Glover doing this for one of the Lethal Weapon movies. Darling Love? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Darling oh. Love was Mrs. Murtaugh. Oh. Jennifer Warrens is a voice unlike any other, though. She is a powerhouse and also, like, so full of integrity. Like, she hasn't done a lot of albums. Whenever I hear interviews with her, she's like, yeah, working on this album. And I never see them come out. Yeah. But she has a Christmas album waiting to come out. She also has, like, a personal album and all these things. But she's got so much integrity as a singer. Mm-hmm. And to get her to sing is, is a huge deal. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So. Okay. I was surprised looking at her discography with how few albums she's actually released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, there was one called The Hunter in the 90s. She did Hole of the Moon, which is crazy good. Oh, she did that. It's so good. Oh, we got to listen you, to Yes. That. Usually I'm like, oh, you can't do these songs. Like she can just do whatever she wants. Also, I didn't realize First We Take Manhattan was written for Famous Blue Raincoat. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I feel this is like a natural moment. We have categories, but we don't need to talk about Hallmark because we already have Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Which is its own version of perfection. And it's not nearly as dirty as you think. The dancing is just groin to groin. That's not dirty. No. No. I feel it's time we just go to the mixtape and we have the ultimate mixologist, if I may say. Mike Balsam. Oh, not me. No, sorry, Frank. Sorry. Mike Balsam, our local celebrity, the linchpin of Niagara, is going to give us the ultimate playlist. This comes from an actual mixtape that I used because I I got tired of pulling out the same records all the time in the same sequence. So I thought I I had a a brainwave. I had my own little Radio Shack mixer in my bedroom at home, two turntables. And I thought, I can buy myself some time. So I started out with Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger. Right. Those first few chords. Dun, 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 Everyone's dun, dun, coming dun. out. Yeah, people scream. People scream and they're on the dance floor. I would go from there into the Beatles, Twist and Shout. Oh my goodness. Then I kept on that shout theme for a few songs. From Twist and Shout into Chubby Checker, mm-hmm. the twist. From there, sorry, Buffalo Bills, the Isley Brothers. Yes. From the Isley Brothers... I would go into La Bamba. And again, you're talking about 80s movies. Although La Bamba was not an 80s song, it had a resurgence, obviously, with the big movie. And after La Bamba, it's okay to get into the Macarena and the Chicken Dance. It's okay to go to that. Early on. Before slowing things down. Yeah. Okay. So again, this is probably the beginning of the second hour. And what I would do, I would mix these perfectly on a cassette. I would throw them on and I'd go to the bar. <laughs> yeah. And I'd have a beer. If I yeah. if I was a smoker, I wasn't. It would have been a great time to have a smoke. But right, right. that bought me about 25 to 30 minutes to yeah. just take a breather. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nothing to do with I've had the time of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that came later. All right. All right, Frank, I don't want to step on your mixtape. Oh, no, no. I'll let you go first. Okay. All right. So I have something where I'm no mixologist, but I was trying to think of like a wedding scene. Some of these were questions I would have asked, but I know I asked a lot of questions. I was thinking of like music you would play while they're having dinner. So I have Smoke Gets In Your Eyes by The Platters. And then for the wedding dance for some nameless couple in the 80s, hopefully they, they, it works for them. 
Up Where We Belong, Joe Cocker, and Jennifer Warrens. Then I Want to Dance with Somebody, Whitney Houston. Now, as we're moving along, things I expect to hear at a wedding. Yeah. Moni Moni, Billy Idol. Question for you, Mike. Oh, yes. We're going to keep this clean. Yes, we're going to we keep can. this clean, but yes. When did Moni Moni become the song where all the grandparents went, what did I just hear on the dance floor? I, I can't pinpoint that moment, yeah. but I, I do remember thinking, where the heck did that come yeah. from? Because I heard at youth group that Billy Idol would command the audience to say this. I feel that can't be true. But it was hard to tell what the truth was yeah. back then. We we're still trying to figure out what Dungeons and Dragons was going to do to us. But <laughs> that Moni Moni had this thing. But I remember being at a dance and like they just all went for it with glee, with oh, yeah. glee. And it was like, wow, okay. It's a mystery, and and yeah. the other mystery is just can't get enough to Pesh Mode, right? Which is the same kind of thing. When did that start? And you couldn't stop it. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. The grandparents in the, at the weddings just could not stop yeah. it. They, they were probably swearing too. Yeah. Just, okay. Next up, I've never been to a wedding where this hasn't been played. The locomotion. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And they or the, oh well, maybe because whatever the line is, you can go and do the line. That's later on in the that night. That could also be hot, hot, hot. Yes, there it is. Buck or rock point. the boat. Rock the boat. Rock the could boat. Be. Oh, okay. All right. I threw in Lady in Red. For my Oma and just for every single yep. dance from the 80s and 90s. And any dance I go to where I always request it for the grandmother of the groom. And then uh, we're here for a good time, not a long time, as a kind of a closer towards the end of the night that I figured Trooper might be played. Good. That's my playlist. That's good one. Yeah, yeah. So I went with the traditional dances. So we go with the first dance, father, daughter, so on and so forth. Okay. Some of these are, there are two that are just, I know, Bill, you are not going to be happy about. First dance, here and now, Luther Vandross. What? No, no, that that one, oh. I know you're okay. Okay, with. all right, all right. Father-daughter dance, Butterfly Kisses, oh. Bob Carlyle. Did you have to play, was that after your time? I don't remember ever playing that. Oh, my It might be after your time. Oh, unstoppable. Un, um, yeah. Mother-son dance, Song for Mama. Boys to Men. I hate that song so much. It's such a good song, though. Oh, yeah. Okay. The Wedding Party, Better Together, Jack Johnson. Okay. What I call the dance floor filler. So when you get through the slow stuff and you want to fill up the dance floor, Give Me Some Lovin', the Spencer Davis Group. Great song. The Anniversary Song is What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And then we close it off with Time of My Life. Great. All right. Even with Butterfly Kisses and Song for Mama? Well, thank God for time of my life. Well, you know, when I make the mixtape, I'll conveniently forget to put some of these in. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. It's going to be Butterfly by Crazy Town, because that's awesome. <laughs> the song, obviously, the, the movie's huge. The song went to number one. Yeah. But in November of 87, it hit number one. The 80s, a lot of dancing movies in the 80s. And to use the word again, juxtaposed to the action movies of the 80s. Yes. It's a lot of action and a lot of dancing. And do you know who covers both of those? Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Yes, very good.
I want to thank Mike Balsam for being here. This is a thrill because we get to talk to a real wedding DJ that actually traded in the music that we're all about here. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on. No, this has been great. This is fantastic, Mike. Just remember, your podcast is the one thing I can't get enough of. You've been listening to Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures.